you've got your Bibles, open it to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. Paul starts off and he says, Therefore, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one while we're going along because we'll be using it throughout the study. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Paul begins here where he left off in chapter 4, talking about our being justified by Jesus Christ, by faith. And the first two verses, he talks about that we have peace with God, we have access to God, and we are able to rejoice in God. He gives us the benefits that we have in being followers of Jesus Christ. And then he gives another benefit that we have, and he tells us in verse 3 that not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I know to hear that, it doesn't sound like a benefit. How is that? You know, this isn't one of the scriptures you find in your little bread promise, you know, basket or whatever it is they give you at the Christian bookstore. We rejoice in sufferings. That's not there. You know, it's always, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He will never leave you or forsake you. But we don't hear, rejoice in sufferings. It's not something that we like to go to. But let me ask you a question. What would you give if you could be really close to God? And how much Is that relationship with God worth to you? If it's important to you, then whatever is necessary to get us to that place is a good thing. And I can't think of someone better or closer, really, in Scripture that we know than the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you'll turn with me there, starting at verse 11... Or chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Paul gives us a little resume. He's defending himself as being a disciple of Jesus. And listen to his defense. Here is someone who is close to God. Here is someone who is following after the Lord wholeheartedly. What would you expect in that person's life? Here's what he says. I'm going to start in the first portion of verse 23. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I'm exhausted just reading this. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face, face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You want to be close to God? What if it required this? What if it requires of our lives suffering? The word that is used for suffering is the word crushing. It's the word that they use to produce wine and to produce oil from olives. It's interesting because both wine and olives are used as symbols of joy in the scripture. They're symbols of joy, but it takes crushing for that joy to come out. And he tells us here why we should consider this suffering good. It says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Do we really know that? Do you know that suffering produces that? The word perseverance means endurance. It means to persist in a state Enterprise or undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. It means to just kind of set your nose to the flint, to continue no matter what. Suffering produces that. Now, the interesting thing is, I guess it, it could say suffering can produce that. Because it, it doesn't necessarily produce that. That depends on us. It's amazing when you, you look at events that shape people's lives because there's really only a couple of events that really shape our lives and make drastic changes in our lives. In a person's lifetime, they'll experience a few of those things. Maybe it's getting married. Maybe it's having children. Interesting, we're speaking of suffering. But anyway, <laughs> it might be the loss of a job. It might be an illness. But usually it's something traumatic that takes place that makes a difference in a person's life. But the difference that it makes, whether for good or for bad, really depends on that person's perspective. Because it's amazing when you have someone who's gone through horrific situations, been abused as a child, and you see one person, that abuse traumatizes the rest of their life and you see another person that abuse sets them on a goal to make something of their life in spite of that abuse and it all comes down to how you really see this do you see the suffering that you go through as producing something enduring or do you see it as just a pain do you see the grape being crushed as just being something malicious or do you see it producing that 
fruit of the vine. What's your perspective on that? It also produces character. Character is moral excellence and firmness. Don't you want character? Isn't that something we want to be a part of our lives? Well, that's what suffering helps produce. You see, it's easy to be nice when everything's going your way. Jesus said it this way, if you love those who love you, what difference are you than anybody? I'm telling you to love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. You see, suffering shows what you really are made of. And so suffering is a necessity to produce moral excellence and firmness. Unless you go through that, you won't develop strength in that area. And then lastly, he says hope. Hope is to desire with expectation of attainment. The idea of hoping is not like, gee, I hope it's going to happen, but it's the idea that it is going to happen to it and expect with confidence. Now, all these things, perseverance, character, and hope, are all things that we want. Paul says you want these things, you have to go through the door of suffering to get them. And that's where we find out what we're made of. Because I want those things, but I don't know if I want them that bad. I want to be a person who perseveres in my faith with God. I want to be a person of character that's strong and firm. I want to be someone who's hoping steadfast, not moved. But I don't want to suffer. Can anyone relate to that? Is it just me? Am I just... Maybe you guys want to come up here and teach me how to do this. I struggle with these things just like you do. But Paul is trying to give us understanding, perspective, so that we not only suffer, but we suffer with purpose. C.S. Lewis wrote that the Son of Man came not that men might not suffer, but that our sufferings might be like his. In other words, there is purpose in the suffering. It's not for naught. It's there for a reason. It's there for your benefit. It's there for my benefit. And so whatever you are going through, and that range can be anything. Paul gave us his list of suffering, and I dare any of us to compare ours to his. Whatever you're going through, do you see that God is producing within you perseverance, that he's producing within you character, that he's producing within you hope that will not be shaken? Because that's what he's desiring to do. In John 15, verses 9 and 11, it says, As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, So I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that your joy may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. God desires for all of us to have a fullness of joy a life that is abounding with joy. But if you are to be splashed with joy, you first are going to need to be crushed. 
That's all there is to it. You will not obtain fullness of joy unless you are crushed. So, the question is, do you want a life filled with God's joy? How bad? Are you willing to be crushed so that joy can be produced within you? Well, how am I going to be crushed? I don't know. I don't know to what degree we will be crushed, but we know that it's going to happen. In John 16.33, Jesus says, I have told you these things, that, you, that in me you may have peace. I've told you these things that you might have peace. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He doesn't promise us a life without trouble. He doesn't promise us a life without suffering. He does promise us a life with joy and with hope in spite of the troubles, in spite of the suffering. That you can rise above the situation. It says of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. His perspective was the joy before him, was the salvation for us. He endured the cross. What joy is before you? What is your focus? Because the joy set before you, you can endure just about anything. It's amazing what we can do. All you ladies who've had babies, hats off. Man, the, the labor that you went through to produce a child, that's crazy. I wouldn't go through that. Glad I don't have to. But for the joy set before you, you, you have this child. You know, you're walking around, waddling around with your pregnant, you know. And, oh, yeah, you know, you're uncomfortable, especially in the summer months. You know, you're eight months pregnant, nine months pregnant. Your body temperature is, I don't know, how many degrees higher than normal, and it's 110 outside. And you feel like a baked potato, you know, in the oven. And you're just like, well, I don't know if you feel that. <laughs> you look like that. No. <laughs> Yeah, I, I scored high on the points there, didn't I? <laughs> but you see, for the joy that's before you, that you are going to have a child, you endure. Well, God has a joy waiting for us, a peace waiting for us. It goes through a door of suffering. Know that so that it doesn't take you by surprise. Be aware of that so that you can confront that. Suffering, there's different types of suffering that take place in our lives. I want to talk about three different types. One is corrective. In other words, sometimes we go through suffering to correct us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. Hebrews 12. 
starting at verse 5. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement. Remember, this is here to encourage you. That addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light or little of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, there's that perspective in the future. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. One of the reasons for suffering, for discipline, it's for discipline. In other words, God wants you to go the right way. He, he needs to discipline you because you're in the wrong area. You're, you're pointed the wrong direction, and he needs to change your direction. Parents, we do this with children. If your kid's always, you know, bopping the other kids on the head with the blocks or something, you've got to stop it. You've got to tell them no. You've got to correct them. You've got to give them timeouts. Whatever is necessary to change that behavior. Same thing's true with dogs. It goes hand in hand. Dogs and children, they're very similar sometimes. You just can't use a pinch collar on the kids. That was a joke. <laughs> you see, a dog that has a bent in a certain behavior, if he's not disciplined, he'll continue that behavior until he gets the discipline and says, if you do this, this is what you get. And then the dog says, oh, well, I don't want that, so I guess I'll change. And sometimes suffering is a means of discipline. You've heard me say that people will not change until the pain of remaining the same exceeds the pain of the change. In other words, if I can live like this, I don't care. I'll be comfortable like this until something happens in my life that says, I don't want to live like this anymore. Okay, now I've got to take action and do something about it. Discipline. Well, sometimes suffering is discipline from God. Sometimes it's God's way of getting our attention, of letting us know you're not doing things the right way. He directs or corrects us from the wrong path. In Lamentations 3, verse 7, it says, He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry out to him, he shuts 
out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Now you think, what a terrible scripture. But you see, the path that is still open is his path to God. The path every place else is closed. The door is closed. The prayers aren't going anywhere. Until you change, then I will Give my ear. Until you come to me, then I will listen to you. But I am not going to allow you to continue living this way until you change. And you're going to go through suffering, lamentation, until you make that change. In that passage in Hebrews, I love at the end of it where it told us, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. That is such an important passage to recognize that we can't sweep things under the rug. That God wants us to deal with the issues in our lives so that we can be healed. If you suffer an injury, a knee injury, You have to go to rehabilitation. They don't put you in a class of rehabilitation, give you iced tea and some aspirin and fan you and say, go ahead, take it easy. How are you doing? You you feeling better now? They say, get on this machine, start pushing. And you go, ow, that hurts. And they say, tough, come on, get going. You want to get better, don't you? You want to be healed, don't you? Then deal with this. And sometimes suffering is nothing more than dealing with this, whatever this is. God says, deal with this so you can be healed, so that you can get over it. And it's an important part that God desires for us. It's a way of getting our attention. C.S. Lewis said, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How many times in a time of suffering do we say, God, change this situation when really what God is saying, no, what I want to change is you. And we pray, God, take this away from me instead of, God, change me. Give me resolve to deal with this. Our focus is get me out of here, make my life easier. And God is saying, I am shouting to you, there is something not right within you. I am trying to make it better. You are going through rehabilitation right now. And you need to get out of this area. You need to direct your life in a different way. And we need to acknowledge these things. And we need to ask him for help. We need to pray, God, which way should I go? How should I deal with this situation? What do you want me to do in this situation, God? Instead of just take it away, take it away. God, I am here now. What do I do? Where are you? Where do you want me to go? Right here where I'm at. Deal with where you're at and ask God to meet you there and help you through that. There's a story in 1 Samuel that I love with Jonathan and his arms bearer in chapter 14. And they're vastly outnumbered by the Philistines. 
They have like one sword between them, and Jonathan's got the sword. And Saul is asleep somewhere. He's just given up. You know, when you get depressed, that's what you want to do. Sleep and not think about it. So they're outnumbered by the Philistines, and here's Jonathan and his armor bearer. And Jonathan says, you know what? I've got an idea. What if God wants to deliver the Philistines into our hand? Is it too much for God to do it by many or by few? He can do it if he wants. I'll tell you what we're going to do. There's some Philistines over there. We'll stand up and call out to them. Hey, you know, we want to fight. And if they say, well, we're coming to you, well, we'll see what happens. But if they say, oh, yeah, come over here and get us, then we know that God has delivered them into our hands. Now, I don't know what made him choose that for a test, but he did. And then his armor bearer says, whatever's in your heart to do, I'm with you. The faith of Jonathan rubbed off on his armor bearer. And so sure enough, Jonathan calls out to them, hey, you Philistines, we're going to teach you a thing or two, paraphrase. <laughs> and they stand up and they said, oh, yeah, why don't you come over here and talk about it, paraphrase. And he says, see, God has delivered them in our hands. And then the verse says, I think it's verse 14 or 15, that Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet. And why is that there? What else is he going to climb up with? His lip? I mean, what, what are you going to... You're going to use your hands and feet. Why is that there? I mean, if this is God's revelation for us, I imagine every word is important. Well, I think sometimes... We just got to climb our way out of these situations. God is with me. There's a battle ahead, and I'm going to climb up one hand after the other, one step after the other, using my hands and feet. I am going to get there, and I'm going to persevere through it. Not going to give up. God is with me. And God also uses... Suffering, not only to correct us, but to do constructive work within us. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Whenever you see a, a sculpture made out of marble or stone, It's hard to imagine that that figure was once just a rock. Because it's got shape, it's got definition, it now has almost the personality of the artist, or the, whoever the artist might be. But you see, to get that sculpture, what that artist had to do was take a hammer and take a chisel and start hacking away. And it's not a pretty thing to sit there and start, bam, taking off chunks of rock and getting another chisel and getting indents. It's a painful thing to your rock, but what it produces is something beneficial. It's constructive even though it seems at first destructive. Understand that God has begun something in you. He's going to finish it. He's going to produce it. He, he's using the, the affliction for a purpose. 
In Psalm 119.67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Before I went through this suffering, I didn't care. I, it, you didn't get my attention, but now you've got my attention, and I see you're doing something worthwhile in me, and so it's constructive. It's therefore a purpose. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Believe in confidence in God that he is doing something constructive in your life. That you're not an illegitimate child, Hebrews told us. That it's a purpose that you're going through whatever it is you're going through. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to go through it. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Recognize the perspective that God is doing something in you. He's correcting you. He's constructing something in you. He's doing a work in your life for a purpose. Be aware of this in those times of suffering. He also is doing a redemptive work. In 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So you can fill in the blanks there what you're going through. These have come so that your faith that means your belief in God of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God is doing a redemptive work in us, and he uses suffering to accomplish that redemptive work. Do you consider your faith more valuable than your comfort? Do you consider your faith and belief and trust in God more worth than the situation that you're in? Do you see that God is trying to work the eternal out within you and suffering is his means of producing something to bring you along to a place of maturity, to a place of completeness, that you might be, I love that word, genuine. I got an email this past week from someone who said that they didn't like going to church. Every time they came to church, they were tired of that fake smile, you know, whatever it is. He said, but when I came and was part of Genesis, something happened. You, you were real. He talked about the things that I'm going through. It was not just the breadbasket promise scriptures feel good. It was talking about how I really felt and God connected to me in a powerful way. Something about the genuine that just stands out when you see something that's real and you say, that's what it means. That's what it's like. That is the real deal. When you see someone who has a genuine relationship with God, there's substance there. 
there is stability. How did that happen? Well, I just read my Bible and I prayed and everything was good. That'd be nice. But that's not how it happens. How it happens is just like Peter talks about. It's the trial by fire. It's the suffering. It's the hardships. It's the persevering. It's the development of character. It's the maintaining of hope through the things that you go through. And then God ends up being manifest in you. And what you have is genuine. Do you want to be genuine? Don't forsake the discipline. Don't look at suffering as an enemy. Look at it as a tool of God, whether it's corrective, whether it's constructive, whether it's redemptive. God is going to do all things for the good in your life. The last portion chapter 5, verse 5 that we talked about. It says, hope does not disappoint. In other words, it's sure. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. To have the difficulties, sufferings in our life be valuable, be things of purpose, tools in the hands of God, you first have to be in the hands of God. You see, unless he has given his spirit to you and you've received that, then you're not quite even a grape yet, or you're not an olive that can be crushed. You're going through those things, but you're not fruit in the hands of the vine dresser. And for these sufferings to be of value, there has to first be the work of God in our hearts. And, and so we come back to, to who do you belong to? Who, whose life or who has hold of your life? Who has the pink slip to your life? Is it you or is it God? Because unless you belong to him, he can't do the work. I can't just go up to your car and say, you know what, I'm going to pimp this ride out. You know, I'm going to make it you know, happening. If it's not my car, I can't do that. I have to get your okay first. If it is my car, then... I have the ability to work on it because it belongs to me. Well, if you don't belong to God, he's like, okay, I can't work on you. Yeah, you're still going to go through suffering. Everyone does. This world is filled with that. But it's not going to be an advantage to you because you don't belong to me until you say, I belong to you. God says, okay, give me the chisel, give me the hammer. Let's get to work. And now it starts becoming corrective. Now it becomes constructive. Now it becomes Redemptive. Now you belong to him. And so 
for all these things that we talked about, for suffering to be of value in your life, it, it first has to come back to the place, do you belong to God? Because unless you belong to Him, He's not going to force you against your will. Oh yeah, He can make it a little bit hot until you say, you know what, I surrender, I want to change, I don't like this. Good, that, that's part of His dealing and chasing after us. But until He has us, that work can't produce the benefits in our life. And, and so I want to ask you to search your own heart and say, does he have me? And then you might say, well, how do I know if he has me? How do I know? Because sometimes he has me, but sometimes he doesn't have me. Today he has me because I'm here at church, but tomorrow I go to work, and I don't want him to have me at work because you don't know where I work. God has you when you say, God, I belong to you. It's something that you say in recognition, and it's something that you say conditionally every day afterwards. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a one-time decision that produces a lifetime decisions, a lifetime of decisions. And what you need to do is ask, God, Fill me with your spirit. God, my life is yours today. God, I belong to you today. God, I am yours. I've said it. I don't want to take it back. I belong to you still. If you want that, all you have to do is ask, and he is faithful to do his part. But he needs your permission. And anytime you want to say, no, I changed my mind, I want my life back, say, okay, I guess we need a little correction to take place here. I guess we need a little discipline to get you back on track. But he'll allow you to make those decisions. And so the first step is committing your life to him and saying, I know this is right, I want to do it. That's the first step. And some of you here today maybe have never done that. You believe in God, but you've never said, I want my life to belong to you. You believe in God, but it's never gone past that step of just an acknowledgement and to a place of actual involvement. And God wants involvement. He wants the pink slip. And we need to be willing to give it to him so that the things that we go through can produce peace and joy no matter what they are. I shared last Thursday night when I was in China, I was able to visit with a man who was a pastor who spent 10 years in prison for being a Christian for being a pastor. They nicknamed him Panda because they couldn't use his real name, otherwise he might track his family and persecute his family. And we got to go to this nicer restaurant in China. There wasn't a whole lot where we were at. And we went to this nice hotel and we were sitting down waiting to get some dinner and they gave us menus and one of the ladies who spoke Chinese was with us, was there interpreting, and we ordered some food and then we just waited. 
And then we started talking to Panda, and she was translating for us. And we were asking, so what was it like to be in prison? What were the prison conditions like? And, you know, how did you feel being separated from your family? And questions were along those lines. And his response all the time was, God was so good. When I was in prison, the guards started getting saved. That's why I'm out, because they were tired of me talking to the guards and saying, get this guy out of here. So they kicked me out of prison. But it was so wonderful how God ministered to my heart when I was there and how he used me there. But did you miss your family? Was it, was it difficult? Oh, yes, my family was there. But God was working in their lives too. And it didn't matter what the question was. What came out of his life was joy. And I remember I was kind of irritated because I was hungry. Sorry, that's just the truth. And, you know, this guy's telling me his heart felt things that happened 10 years in prison. And I'm like, man, Where's the food? The service here is terrible. You know, and I'm like, hey, you know, trying to get there. Can we get the, you know. And, the, and then it dawned on me that they weren't serving us because we were with him. And he was known. And they didn't want to be associated with him. Because he came in there and shared his story numerous times with other people. And all of a sudden, I just felt this big. I'm sitting here worried about my stupid food. This guy doesn't even get served because of who he is. And all that's coming out of this man's life, who spent 10 years in prison in China, is joy. It was genuine, and I said, I want that. God says, oh, you do? It's going to be through suffering but it is worth it. I can remember his smile to this day. It was from the depths of his soul. I was humbled by his presence. And that was just by seeing him and being him. I didn't even know what he was saying except through the interpreter. I don't want that to be me. Do you want that to be you? Then take stock where you're at. Don't seek just a way out. Seek to change. God's not just giving us an escape door. He wants our lives to change, to develop within us perseverance, character, and hope. And if we develop those things in the midst of suffering, we will have fullness of joy, joy that is complete. And we won't be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would allow us this fullness of life, that we would recognize that the sufferings and things that we go through aren't worthy to be compared with the joy that will be revealed in us. Lord, I pray that you would instill that into each of our hearts. I shared earlier that if you wanted to make the decision to follow after the Lord, make it more than just a mental assent, but a, a commitment of life to, in that sense, hand your pink slip of your life over to him, 
I want to give opportunity for you to do that. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I haven't surrendered that way. I haven't given that part of my life over to the Lord, but I, I do want that. I want the fullness of joy that comes in spite of the sufferings. In fact, I want the things that my life goes through to produce eternal things. If you would like to make that decision, I'd like to agree with you just by acknowledging you. Would you raise your hand so I can just pray for you? I'm not here to embarrass you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. Father, you see these hands that have raised to acknowledge you, to surrender their lives fully to you. Meet them where they're at. Father, as they surrender themselves to you, might you reveal yourself to them. Do a powerful work, a work that only you can do. For we do ask it in your son Jesus' name.